0: It's just me. That's why Brother Josh uh, called me a couple weeks ago and was like, hey, I'll do announcements for you. I don't know if that was for your benefit or for his. And he was like, I can't deal with you up there all day. But First Samuel chapter 30, we're not going to, uh, this is not the text, but I want to start here. Um, uh, before I get started, too, uh, just an, an addition to the announcements. So these are the faith promise that Brother Josh was talking about. Uh, We're not handing them out yet because I know what will happen to them. They'll end up lost and you'll end up having to get another one anyways. So these, uh, you will get one of these. And what it is, is it's, Pastor will go through Faith Promise uh, if you're not familiar with it. But this is the part that you'll tear off. Um, But we're not, those are not due till the end of March. Okay, so Faith Promise will start April 1st. So we have time, uh, but be praying about that, what God wants you to give. Um, and then it'll just be a matter of writing that number down and turn it in. All right. First Samuel chapter 30. I'm keeping track of time because I have a tendency to go long and I'm not doing that this morning. I'm, I'm promising you and myself that I'm not going to go long and I'll just cut it off if I start getting long. All right. But first Samuel, Samuel chapter 30 and verse six. If you know this passage, you'll know that this is David, King David. Um. Uh, and, and the story of Ziklag. Anybody know what happened at Ziklag? It was when David's mighty men, or David's, David's soldiers, not just his mighty men, but all of his army uh, was out there fighting with him. Not with him, but with him. Not fighting with him, but on his side. And they came back to Ziklag. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. It came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, and smitten Ziklag, and burned it with fire. Ziklag was David's home, and all of his, when they went to war, they had left all their, their wives, children, belongings. it was their homes. And when they came back from fighting, this is what they found. Uh, they had smitten Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, so they didn't kill anybody, either great or small, but carried them away, and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Could you imagine what that would be? We don't live like this anymore, but this was normal. They would pillage a city and take everything and, and all the people uh, that they took would be captives and uh, they would assume them into their, uh, their community or their tribe or whatever it was. But David, remember, David's got a whole group of mighty men. These guys aren't just going to let it happen, right? So look at verse 5. Or, yeah, verse, uh, verse 4. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam and, Je- and the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. That's what I, I want to look at that little tiny piece of that verse to start off. Uh, because I think uh, we, especially, especially in our world uh, today, we can get discouraged. I mean, on top of everything we're dealing with, uh, with sickness and all the rest of that, And I don't want to call them out, but I just saw Mike and Joanne leave. I know she's not feeling good at all. She's had some test results, and uh, I think that's why they had to leave. She's just not feeling up to it, but we get discouraged over things like that. We have others going through tough times. You may be going through some things that nobody knows about. Maybe it's with your family or even with some uh, adult children that are out of the house and your heart is breaking for them. could be a job situation, we, stuff people don't know about. And, and my point here is uh, we can listen to, because I've done it, I've, I've gotten on and listened to some motivational speeches and things like that, and they're great. It, it'll get you through for a little while, but that goes away. That feeling of, I'm just going to do it, that goes away. And we need to encourage ourselves in the Lord. The people, David's men, this isn't just the people, David's men spake of stoning him, but David encouraged himself In the Lord his God. Um, So, now turn to Psalm chapter 2. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. This psalm is an encouragement to us. It's not a motivational speech. Uh, That's not what preaching is. And that's not what the Bible is. But we can encourage ourselves in the Lord our God. I'm going to read all of chapter 2. And then we'll pray. And then we'll get into the message. All right. Psalm chapter 2 is probably very familiar. You probably recognize this. uh, At least parts of it. But Psalm chapter two, verse one says, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? And that sounds like a really good verse, right? But what does it mean? We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. And verse four, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. And this is God speaking. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. This is now now his king speaking. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, thou art my son. And that's a capital S. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possessions. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O you kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in In Him, Uh, this is a this is a psalm of encouragement, and it's a psalm of uh, what should be fear to 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 the wicked. Uh, But let's pray, and then we'll we'll get right into the message. Father, I thank you for this day that you've given us, God. I thank you uh, as we've been singing and talking about this morning. We serve such a mighty God, and I pray that we never forget that God when we get into different circumstances in our lives. Uh, things that pop up unexpectedly, uh, God. I pray that we would remember that we serve a mighty God, and it, and as we'll see here in, in chapter two of Psalms, uh, blessed are those that put their trust in You. I pray that we'd remember that. I pray that this message this morning would be a, a, a one of encouragement, but also one of uh, of us being more committed to You because You're such a a, a mighty and and powerful and loving God to those that, that put their trust in you. Pray that you would uh, just be with my words, God, calm my nerves, and that uh, what you want for your people to hear this morning uh, would be said, and uh, that you would work in hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So um, <clears throat> I'm told I don't know Hebrew. I can't. If I looked at Hebrew, it looks like a, a kid scribbled on a page. It actually looks pretty nice, believe it or not. And I don't know if you know this, but Hebrew, so I actually looked it up, uh, because I was reading on this and it says that this is a really, really symmetrical song. So there's 12 verses, there's four stanzas. It's almost like a poem or a hymn. Obviously, the Psalms the were songs that the Israelites sang. And so they say that this is a, a really symmetrical uh, song and there's four verses of three verses each. So I looked it up because symmetrical to me means, you know, each line is kind of. The the first line short, next one's long, the next one short, on the first three verses, and then the next one would be exactly the same. And if you look it up in the Hebrew, it actually is really close to that. It's very symmetrical. And when I first opened it up, I had forgotten that you read Hebrew from right to left. And so when I looked at it, I was like, "What is that? It's upside down." But uh, anyway, they say that the, this psalm is very symmetrical, four stanzas of three lines each, and it's you can see it break at the three three-verse mark, you can see it change topics, so so to speak, or change uh, moods, all right? So we're going to get into this, uh, but how does this psalm relate to us? We often hear that the Old Testament is for, uh, is not for us, right? We don't have to obey all those rules and everything in the Old Testament, but it's important to remember that the same God that David was singing about here or writing about is the same God we serve, right? And that we know that, but I, I don't think all the time that transfers from our head into our heart and into our actions. I think, yeah, we serve the same God, but he can't do that. I got to worry about it. I need to be anxious about this because God certainly can't fix that. We wouldn't say that, but that's the way we act, right? So why do the heathen rage? We'll get right into it. Verse one, why do the heathen rage? I think this is a rhetorical question. Who, who, why do they rage? And, and let me, I gotta follow my notes because it's so easy. This is a really, to me, an exciting chapter and, and I don't wanna get ahead of myself and then have to backtrack. But the heathen raging, what does that look like? You can go on YouTube or anything else and find clips of anchors of, of mainstream uh, TV stations and things like that cursing god on the air they hate him they rage at him i wrote a few things down why do they ban prayer in schools what what is prayer to them if if they don't believe in it why would they worry about it why do they ban that why do they um why do they take the 10 commandments out of the courthouses why do they try to ban manger scenes from town squares why Uh, When we saw Roe versus Wade get overturned, why do they rage in the streets and riot and literally carrying signs that say, kill more babies? What is that? That's the heathen raging. Uh, They don't know what else to do. So to show their hatred for God, they'll actually curse God himself. If they knew who it was they were cursing, if they had read Psalm chapter two, which they haven't, I'm sure, but if they had read Psalm chapter two, they would be afraid. Look at at verse... uh, uh, let's see. It's gone. Where'd it go? Verse 12. Kiss the son lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. if He even gets a little bit angry. You're going to be gone and, and let, let you curse God. The heathen rage. But the verse one, I think, is a rhetorical question saying, why do the heathen rage? What is the point? Do they think they can actually beat God? They've, they've never seen him, just like we haven't. So why do they rage against him? And, um, and the people imagine a vain thing. I think the vain thing he's talking about is the fact that they might actually be able to beat God. So they rage, for what purpose, but they imagine that they might still be able to beat God. Um, and it's important to remember, this is why I'm following my notes, it's very important to remember because I've been on the doorstep of uh, people when we're knocking on doors and, and it, it feels, feels like they're attacking us when they say, not interested, bang, shut the door. And you're just like, how do you even know what I'm about to say? It, they know what we're doing and they're not, this is the important thing. They are not mad at us. They're not raging against us. They can't see God. He's not a physical, he's, he is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. They're not mad at us, but they don't know how else to take their anger and their rage out on God. So they take it out on God and, I mean, on his representatives here on this earth. And, that, and that's us. So why do they, uh, why do they vandalize churches? Why, why, do, why do these things happen? They're not mad at us. They're mad at God. Uh, and that's important to remember uh, because a couple weeks ago, Pastor preached that message on compassion. It's very hard to have compassion when you're just as mad at them as they are at you, right? Remember they're raging at God. Um, so verses 1 through 3, this is the first uh, stands of this song, is sinful man is at war with God. It's, it's, a, it's a plain truth. Sinful man is at war with God. All men are. Until they, are, until they come to Christ, they are at war with God. And it's also uh, important to remember here that the reason that when the church stands up uh, for truth, the world is mad at them. The world, the world cannot just let their, um, their agenda and the church coexist. They can't do it. Uh, the Bible says you cannot serve two masters, right? You either hate the one and love the other or you love the one and hate the other. You can't serve both. So even though sometimes we seem to get along with the world, as soon as we stand for truth, they hate it because they are raging at God. Sinful man is at war with God. Uh, And there comes a point, and we'll see this later in in the book or in the chapter, there comes a point um, when man will either bow to God or fight him for all their worth, uh, and that is the facts of the matter. They will either bow to God, or they'll fight him for all their worth. And I I can't believe that some of these that are cursing God on live television or whatever else uh, have never heard uh, the gospel. Maybe they haven't, but there's a reason they're so mad about it. It's because they hate what they've heard. Um, and I might be getting ahead of myself, but I have this somewhere in here. But why do, actually, it's right there, John 3, 19. This is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. We're evil. They can't help but rage against God. It's in their, it's in our DNA, right? Uh, we talk about this all the time, and people hate to hear it, that we are born sinners. No, little children are not born sinners. Yes, they are. It's in our DNA. I'm not saying that uh, little children are born murderers, even though it's in their DNA to be that, but it is in our DNA. It is in our very nature to hate God. Um, So they imagine a vain thing. It's a useless cause. They actually believe that they can win against God. And speaking of compassion, it actually makes me Sad or compassionate or uh, feel sorry for those that are doing this because the Bible says uh, that we will bow before God. If that means, if it means we will, that doesn't mean all are going to come to Christ. It's just a matter of time. It means you will either bow before the king because he's broken both your legs and you have no choice, or you will willingly bow before the king. Uh, it's a vain thing for them to think that they have a choice. Uh, but to bow before God, they do here on this earth. But the time will come when they will bow before God. Now, this is important. Also, Ephesians chapter two, verses one th- through three. And you're more than welcome to turn to any of these. I wrote them down because of the time for me to get to them. Uh, I don't want to take that, uh, waste that time. But I wrote them all down. Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three, though, says, "And you hath he quickened." What does the word "quickened" mean? Made alive. You hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. You walked according to the course of this world. What does that mean? You raged against God too. You walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? Satan. It's the devil. You walked according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation. That word means lifestyle, right? We all had that lifestyle in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That was us, because it's in our DNA. And uh, Revelation chapter 16, verse 13 through 16. Uh, I'm gonna skip through here because there's a part that I want to hear. For they are... Well and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to battle of that to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. They gather all these these demons came out and gathered all the nations against God. The heathen rage, and they imagine a vain thing. They think that if we can get enough people together, enough people against God, we might be able to beat him. That's the vain thing uh, that they are imagine, imagining. And then Acts chapter 4, verse 26 says, The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gad- gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, for of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done, which is interesting, that verse, God already had that, he knew it was going to happen, they gathered to do God's will, is what that's saying, even though they weren't, they didn't know that, they were trying to crush him, the kings of the earth stood up and gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, Uh, sinful man is at war with God and there's no way around that. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. We don't have to follow Bible truths. We're going to break their bands that they have around us. These, these uh, principles and these laws that govern mankind, we're going to break the, break them away because if we can do away with God, then, then we've beat him, all right? The second thing is the response of a holy, all-powerful God in verses 4 through 6. He's not threatened by sinful man, and we see that here in verse 4. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. They sh- then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill." of Zion what is that saying in verse verse 4 it's pretty pretty self-explanatory but I want you to think about uh if somebody if somebody challenges me and they're the same size as me and I've never met them before and they look like they're in pretty good shape and they say hey I want to go outside and have a a, I already set up a boxing ring and we're gonna box I might go (laughs) that's a nervous laugh right I don't know this guy and he might be a lot better than me that's not what this is this isn't a nervous laugh. This isn't an embarrassed laugh. This is, this is, uh, this is a laugh when Charlie comes to me and says, I want to fight you, and he's dead serious, right? If you don't know Charlie, he's Josh's little boy. I'm going to fight you because he does that to me. Let's fight. That's me going, Charlie, if he's serious. If he's not serious, I go, no, 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 I don't have time right now. But if he's serious, that's the laugh God gives here. What? The entire armies of the entire world are gathered together against God. And he that sitteth in the heavens laughs. The Lord shall have them in derision. Uh, to, to the world, this should be, it should be a terrifying laugh to them. This is, this is like um, I, I, what I like to imagine. It's almost like God is sitting there writing, you know, or whatever like a person would do and there's this huge army gathering, and finally somebody says, hey, you know, there's an army outside, and I go, <laughs> and keep on going. That's almost what this is. It's, it's just, he's not mocking them, but he's completely unworried, right? Why is he so unworried? He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. This this rebellion is is, it's a futile effort, and because... I was thinking about this uh, because I was studying this when the, when the Super Bowl happened, was that last week? Last week, I think. Anyway, and I was thinking, you know, it's almost like watching somebody root for their favorite team when the game already happened but they, have, they haven't seen it yet. Maybe it's a rerun or a, a, what do you call it, a DVR or whatever, and they haven't seen the game yet but I already know the outcome and they're cheering, yeah, yes, and I know that team loses, right? That's kind of what this is, because God knows the outcome. In fact, we know the outcome. We're already told what's going to happen. God wins, and still they rage against God. It's, it's a vain thing, and the, he that sitteth in the heaven laughs, because if you would just listen to what the guys at Mount Victory Baptist Church are trying to tell you, you would know it's a futile effort. You've got to go, you've, you're going to bow before the king. And he laughs and the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. So it's kind of a, he laughs, but then he vexes them in his sore displeasure. I could not imagine having the king of kings, the God of heaven, sorely displeased with me. The, the wrath that would come from that. And we see that um, in, the, in the next few verses. But look at verse 6. And I'm kind of sort of getting ahead of myself, but you can't really help it because that is his answer. He laughs at them, and then God speaks. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. That is his response to the armies gathering against him. I've set my king on the the holy hill of Zion. What does that mean? Imagine gathering to war, and you think, yeah, they're gonna come with 30,000, but we have 40,000, we've got an advantage. And they come with all the armies of the world. And you gotta remember, It doesn't matter if they're allies or not. They're all agreed on one thing. We hate God. And this is not necessarily spiritual armies. This is physical armies raging against the God of heaven. They come and they are going. Now, we'll read a few verses about that too. But they come and and they gather together against God. And that's his answer. I've set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. What does that mean then? To the world, look at Philippians uh, chapter two, verses nine uh, nine through eleven. It says, "Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." Uh, it doesn't matter how loudly or how consistently the church or we as individuals, when we're at work. When we're out and about, Josh mentioned that this morning, it doesn't matter how loudly we proclaim it, sinful man still rages against God because they really truly believe they can win this war. Um, and God tells them that, fine, we'll have a battle and you're going to fight one person, my king. That's it. You're just going to fight him. I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And verse 7 is, is interesting. So this is the... Um, third stanza, right? And so God answers them with a laugh and then sorely displeased at them. And then he says, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to fight you, my king on Zion. Um, Before we get to verse seven though, how does he fight them? How does God fight them? How does Jesus fight them? Um, Colossians chapter two, verse 13. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinance that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way. This is how he wins. Nailing it to his cross. Verse 15. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. What is it? His death on the cross that's how he beats the nations uh, the, the armies of all the nations of the world with his death on the cross now it makes sense when he says the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish it is foolish you're gonna beat me by dying that's how you're gonna win that's what he's saying though I've set my king upon my holy hill of Zion and that's how I defeat the nations uh and we'll get to that in a minute. How does he defeat them, though, then just by dying? But 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. It is power, right? He defeats them with power, the power of the death on the cross. It's it's It makes no sense to the world. It is foolishness to them. That's why they rage, thinking they can win when it, it's not. And I have these verses somewhere. Hopefully they're really close, but... There, we we don't fight with carnal weapons, right? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We don't come back at them, oh yeah, you you got that, I'm going to argue with you about this then. I got a better argument than you, I've been practicing in, in Bible college. That's not how we fight. Even though the Bible tells us to have an answer, we fight with the gospel of the death of Christ on the cross. That's how we fight, because that's how he fought. He's going to destroy the nations with the death of his son. Colossians 1:20 Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Uh, and I'm going to start clipping along here. The irony of all this is mankind is going to the war, to, to war with the only one who is with the one who is their only hope of salvation. Is that not ironic? They are fighting with everything they have to destroy him. When he's the only hope they have. That's why it says they are imagining a vain thing. This is ridiculous. Why are you doing this? The one you need to to, to rescue you, you're trying to destroy. Verses seven through now nine. This is. I'll just speak on this short, very very briefly because we've already kind of talked about it. the outcome of this battle was never in doubt. Look at verse nine. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them with uh, in pieces. And I didn't even hardly get to this, but. It, this is very, very clearly a psalm about Jesus, not David, uh, because um, there's, there's so many other verses, and if I come across them, I'll, uh, I'll read them. Um, but verse 7, I will declare uh, the decree. So he says, I'm going to set my king upon the holy hill, but then verse 7, uh, thou art my son, this day I have I begotten thee. Who is that? That's Jesus. That's the king he's setting on, on this hill of Zion. But uh, verse... Uh, eight ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession and this is, this is what it's going to end up looking like thou shalt break them with a rod of iron thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel you ever broke a, a coffee cup you drop it on a, on a tile floor it doesn't stand a chance it shatters in pieces that's what the, that's what God Jesus is going to do to this army that rages against him through the death on his cross his death on the cross I'll break them in pieces like a potter's vessel um now I'm coming this thing's moving all over the place on me so the last thing is the last point the last stanza verses uh 10 through 12 what is the hope then of the world what is their hope repentance that's the only hope that they have. Without it, they will be dashed in pieces like a potter's vessel. Because then in verse 10, he says this. So after all of this, this is I, am the, my, I set my king on the hill of Zion. This is my decree. My son can ask of me, and I will give him the heathen for his inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for his possession. Be wise now, therefore, you kings. These are the same kings he was talking about in verse 2. Uh, The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Be wise now, therefore, O kings. I'm telling you, it's a vain thing. It's a futile effort. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. This is the instruction. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. I was telling my wife last night, rejoice with trembling. That's a funny phrase. Rejoice, be happy with trembling. This This is the God of the universe that you are dealing with be wise serve him with fear and rejoice with trembling and then this is the final uh piece of advice or piece of uh it's not even advice hey take it or leave it this is what you can do this is your only hope kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little blessed are all they that put their trust in him uh this is, this is the gospel. Jeremiah 23, 29 is not my word like as a fire saith the Lord and a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. This is how we fight. That's what he means by the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We are fighting with, with the gospel message. His word is like a hammer that breaketh the rock in, in pieces. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm going to finish here with a few, um, few last thoughts. But the Bible says, there's other places, but the Bible says he is a, he is a terrible, he is terrible. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. There we go. Psalm 47, 2. I knew that wasn't it. Psalm 47, 2. For the Lord most high is terrible. Doesn't mean he's bad. When, when our kids are being really bad, what do we say? You're being terrible. Or they're terrible. That's not what this is talking about. He is terrible. The next phrase says he is a great king over all the earth. This is their only hope. There's a reason he is called the king of kings and the lord of lords. He rules over all of them. And he allows them to do their thing on this earth. He even allows them to come against him and assemble their armies against him. But he's saying in verse 10, he's pleading with them, please be wise. O kings, kiss the sun lest he be angry and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled a little, I mentioned that at the beginning, even a little bit of his wrath and you're done, you're ashes, you're dust, you're, you're disintegrated. First Corinthians chapter six, verses nine through 11. This is an important thing to remember. Know ye not that the right unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. I think Brother Josh mentioned this verse this morning. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. I think if you can imagine in your mind, these armies are raging against God. And if you're watching a video, you might be able to go, that's me. You were in that army. You were marching with whatever weapon you had, against the king of heaven and he called you and you drop those weapons and you come to the king of the earth look blessed are all they that put their trust in him he's not saying oh yeah you king you want to come against me I'm going to destroy you he's saying I will but be wise make this decision right now even the kings that are assembling their armies against him can drop their weapons and come to him Uh, we see that in the end of verse 12 Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Go back to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. And such were some of you. That's how I know I was in that that army at one point. Such were some of you, but you are washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The only hope we, the world has, is repentance to this God. Because if his wrath is kindled even a little bit, you'll perish from the earth. You'll be done. I had a story I was gonna, gonna, gonna tell you. This happened to me personally. In fact, I will, but I'm gonna shorten it way up. The reason, so this it is a it's a this is a message of encouragement. You don't have to be one of the ones that perishes from the way. You can come to him and be blessed by putting your trust in him. And I was talking to a, a friend of mine, and I won't mention his name, some of you may know him. But he called me one time and he was talking about all this stuff that's happening in the world. And he said, I think you, I think you know there's something not right, but I, I know what it is. I'm going to tell you the truth. And started into all these different conspiracy theories. Now there's a QAnon in there. And I said, brother, <laughs> I understand all about all the conspiracy theories. And he was like, no, 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 no. I don't think you understand. America and all the nations, they're ruled by Satanists. I said, does that surprise you? Satan runs the world. Why would he put a Christian in charge of any nation, right? So he has set up his kings on this earth. That shouldn't surprise us. But if we get so caught up in fighting with carnal, this carnal warfare of, well, we're going to save our nation through politics, or we're going to save them through these conspiracy theories, Satan has done exactly what he, his goal is, distract us from telling others about Jesus Christ. Distract us from spreading the gospel. I'm going to read you one last verse and then we'll be done. Revelation chapter 11 verse 17 and 18, saying, "We give thee thanks, O Lord God almighty, which art and was and art to come. Because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned, and the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come in the time of the dead that they should be judged." And that thou shouldest give reward unto the servant, thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great. And shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. They're destroying our earth right now. And one day he will destroy them. The time is short, but they can still come to him. The nations rage against him. It's a futile effort. It's pointless. But they can still come to him as we did. And we should be doing everything we can. Brother Josh talked about that this morning. We should be doing everything we can to bring others with us. Because we know their doom, the final outcome. And we can be excited about that. But we want to bring everyone we can with us. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take council together. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. But those are the encouraging verses at the end. Kiss the sun lest he be angry and you perish from the earth. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Let's go ahead and pray. You can stand, stand to your feet. Heads bowed, eyes closed. And I don't know if this is so much of a convicting message as much as it might be. It, it, I, want, I meant it to be encouraging, but it might even be more so of a uh, reprioritizing what's, what we're doing with our lives. We're not here to... to Uh, push conspiracy theories we're not here to uh, fight with politicians again about different policies we are here because God rescued us out of that army that was raging against him and we're here to help others do the same thing that we did and when we get sidetracked from that for whatever any reason whatever it is when we get sidetracked from that Satan has won in our lives He, he is winning that battle Let's reprioritize, let's refocus on what it is that we're doing. And remember, this king that we serve, he's a terrible, terrible God and a mighty and great king on the earth. Father, I thank you for the day you've given us. God, I thank you for your word, that it is quick, it's alive, and it is powerful. And I pray that it would work in the hearts of your people. God, I pray when we come to church, we will be looking for things to change. And God, that we would surrender our hearts to you. Blessed are all they that put their trust in you. Then we aren't trying to figure things out on our own and trying to make things happen. We are putting our trust in you and leaning not on our own understanding. And I pray that we would do that. God, I pray that you would uh, just bless your people. God, I pray that as I know there are some that are going through uh, tough times in their lives, I pray that you would help them to put that on you. and They would look to you. Uh, for the comfort and for the rest and for the peace that they need. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.